0: Robbie the Robot's Waiting was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. We feel we've let the side down by not creating our own sitcom theme opening, but nonetheless we can't not talk about WandaVision, which has just finished airing on Disney+. Plus. We're going to be discussing great, big, hexy spoilers from the start, so if you haven't watched the show yet, maybe tune in later. As ever, Robbie the Robot's Waiting stars Dave Bradley, Tanavi Patel and me, Richard Edwards. Hi, guys. Hello. Hey. It's been nearly two years since we've seen a new Marvel movie. Um, This was a brilliantly unconventional way to take us back to the MCU. I mostly loved it. What did you guys think?
1: Yeah, I did. I did love it. Um, I liked it a lot. I liked the event format of it making it you know an occasion every week um and there's there's a lot to, to 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 love there it's kind of i'm reading a lot online about how people feel a little bit maybe dissatisfied with the ending in that it didn't quite meet their expectation but i think that's really the fans fault you know i don't i don't think marvel ever promises anything other than a mystery and and now people are kind of going oh why wasn't there more x men or Fantastic Four, or some big revelation why didn't why wasn 't there a cameo from Doctor Strange and I want to say well you you kind of put all that in your own heads, <laughs> so mm. taken it on its own terms. I really enjoyed it i
0: 'm not sure I entirely agree with you on that though Dave, because I think Marvel put in so many Easter eggs and so many teases, but some of them just didn 't come to anything you know mm. and that really big thing about having uh Pietro turn up at the door and it 's Evan Peters who played at uh, Quicksilver in the X Men movies, and you suddenly think, Oh, it's this amazing crossover with the X Men movies. Is this some kind of multiverse? Because we know the multiverse is coming to Marvel. And then when it turns out that it's just the guy who lives next door, who Agnes has been imprisoned, who just happens to look like Evan Peters, who played uh, Pietro in the X Men <laughs> movies, and I was like, Is that it? You know, I think when you do a tease like that, it's got to come to a little bit more. So I can see why people were disappointed. On that level. But, you know, mostly I think. And his
1: name's Boner as well. It's just a Boner joke.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was just a Beavis and Butthead moment, wasn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Boner. (laughs) Exactly. I think because
2: they promised a mystery and they kept you thinking and they kept you guessing and you weren't sure what's going to happen, I think they absolutely delivered on that promise. So, because even though if you were expecting more, you didn't know what you were going to get. And I very much was watching it episode to episode thinking, What's going to happen? What on earth? Mm. What does this mean? And and it was thrilling. And I actually, I really, really liked. And I, I believe there's a bit of a split among the fan bases to what people think. But I really liked once they brought it back and connected it to the the real world of Monica Mm. Rambeau and Randall Park and Kat Dennings I mean those that as trio is amazing (laughs) that's like comedy genius that lineup as well so it was fantastic so the chemistry between them and how they're working against sword and at the same time trying to figure out what's happening inside the hex I think that was really really great how they sort of merged it all together and then on top of it You know, you've got Vision kind of finding out on his own. Then you've got um, the boys as well, sort of figuring out what's happening. And then you've got Bits and Bobs with Agatha, um, who I kind of had an inkling that she was obviously going to be a main character towards the end because she was just so present in the, all the other episodes. It didn't make sense that she just happened to be a neighbor and she had so many more sort of lines <laughs> than anyone else. So it made sense that she, she was the one person who seemed a bit more sentient. Wasn't just doing
0: what,
2: um, yeah. it wasn't just doing what Wanda wanted her to do. She seemed to turn up when Wanda needed her or when something was happening. And so it just made sense that, she was a bigger player, but I had no idea. And because also I don't know the comics and things like that, I had no idea who she would turn out to be. And I also really liked the fact that they used all sorts of different, like, so even though we were used to seeing them in that, um, uh sitcom uh, situation, we also then got flashbacks and things like that, which I wasn't expecting either. And so I think that that was um, a really nice way to yet even again, change it up from, not just like going from Malcolm in the middle to I Love Lucy, but also to then show that, to then comparing that to the reality. And so, yeah, I think it was it was amazing how much they managed to do with it. And yet it all worked. You know, you can follow it well. And it was really interesting to watch. I really liked the introduction of the um, additional characters in the real world um, mm-hmm. because they were fun. I think the one downside for me was the feeling at the end that I was left with which I guess um, Monica was linked to as well, is that I didn't really feel sorry for Wanda, for the Scarlet Witch in the end. I wasn't sure where I should sit or how I should feel about what had happened because at the end of the day, she had kind of ruined the lives of thousands of people because of her grief. And it was weird because at the end, when she said like goodbye, she was less sad then um, like, with and not crying and things like that. And it almost made me feel like it was a little bit disingenuous. So I wasn't sure how I should feel about her and where she really stood at the end.
0: I, don't, I think it was nice that it left it so ambiguous. Mm. I, you know, it wasn't tied up in neat an ending. And I, I genuinely thought it was a brilliantly crafted season up until the last episode because Mm. just in the way they did the reveals the way that they shifted from being this kind of sitcom pastiche to to bringing in something completely different outside westview was was brilliant and 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 ultimately it was one of those where it couldn't deliver entirely on the ending and you know how many shows do we say that about you know that that's not a massive sin because this was a show that was ultimately about the mystery and the way the mystery unfolded. And in those terms, it was masterful. I mean, just going back to the early episodes, which feel ages ago now, you know, when it started (laughs) off with that first 50s episode. And, Mm. you know, it was actually filmed in front of a live studio audience, and you can see Wonder and Vision both playing up to the audience. It worked so well. And and at that stage, it, it, it is just let's see how many sitcom references we can build in. And then gradually over those first three episodes that went into the 60s and 70s, you you start seeding little ideas that things weren't quite right. You know, with Geraldine, Monica, starts appearing and she's sort of starting to question things. And then when Wanda sort of kicks her out of her world and she ends up outside, and you get to the end of episode three and you're thinking, I think I've done a little bit with the sitcom thing. I want more. So they give you an episode four that is entirely in the real world and kind of sort of yeah. explains what's been happening simultaneously. And then it kind of all comes together from there onwards. Yeah. And, and then obviously bringing fake Pietro and, and all that. So it just dropped all the it, all its reveals in the right places while having a lot of fun with its sitcom idea, having great fun with its characters outside, lots of mysteries, lots of antagonists. It, it was just a brilliant piece of TV that I guess played on this thing that because it was out every week, it was all about being discussed on the internet and just throwing you these little things. Now, and as I've just said, I'm not sure that always it worked when they kind of seeded an idea or, or sort of hinted at something in the comics and they just didn't deliver on at all, because it just feels, it feels like fan service is not there for the story. But at the same time, there were so many things there that were just clever. I mean, like, you know, with Agatha Harkness, you know, and you sort of kick yourself afterwards because it's Ag, Agatha Harkness, Agnes. Talk about hiding in plain sight, you know. It it was a show made for fans that didn't alienate people who weren't fans. And I think that was very clever.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, interestingly, you talk about some of those characters then in in more detail. I mean, Agnes is interesting. Agnes Harkness the was clearly the the kind of villain of this piece. Although there's, you know, there's the implication that she wasn't behind all this. You know, she was there investigating because... um, of the, the power that, that um, Wonder was displaying. But she's such a, um, you know, a, a deeper character in the comics. So she was created back in uh, 1970, so she's been around for ages. And she's largely, uh, you know, a positive figure. You know, she's been the nanny of the Fantastic Four, and although, you know, more ambivalent, more more chaotic, you know, so she's kind of um, occasionally, you know, on, on, on the other side. But she's played, you know, played numerous roles, uh, often alongside, alongside our heroes throughout the... Um, throughout the marvel comics world and here it almost feels like she although it's you know it's great that she's standalone for the purposes of this series she almost kind of wasn't done just this it's kind of i feel that we need to see more of her not just because katherine hahn is a fantastic um, actor as well i you know happily see her in a you know in a in a in a future marvel production of some sort but also i I kind of wanted there to be something where maybe she was you know had a bit of redemption or something whereby rather than just being the the big bad All the fans wanted there to be more Mephisto involvement as well. And there was a very prominent fly floating around in in some episodes, which is how Mephisto is introduced in the comics, which Agatha kind of deals. I think there's an episode where she just kind of grabs the fly and then the fly's gone. It's eaten by the the, by the bunny. And there's a little bit of a sense that there's some kind of anti-climaxes in this that are sort of played for fun, which I sort of love about it as well. I think with Agatha, um, the, I think she was brilliant throughout. I mean, when
0: she was Agnes, I think Katherine Hahn played the nosy neighbour so well throughout all, all of the iterations of the sitcom. And then the, the actual big reveal when she, was, she sort of said, yeah, I'm Agatha Harkness, I'm a witch. A, it was great in terms of the plot. And then she had that amazing song, which is actually Katherine <laughs> Hahn singing. You know, uh-huh. um, it's gone to the top of iTunes charts. Um, it's stuck <laughs> in everyone's head. I mean, it, it was just so spot on. And now I think that every big villain reveal should come with a the theme tune. In fact, everything <laughs> that happens in life should come with a the theme tune. That good. You know, I mean, uh, you know, the credits throughout the, the opening credits throughout the series were so spot on. You know, so era appropriate because it was the um, Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez who did the all the songs for Frozen who wrote all the songs. So, right. you know, they, they have got sort of Hollywood pedigree. I think with Agatha, because we'd already established that Wanda was the cause of everything that was going on, which again was quite a cool idea that, you know, one of the Avengers is the antagonist. She she has made everything go wrong. But then, then you've got Ag- Agatha come in. It's kind of ambiguous whether she's trying to work it out because she wants to fix it because she's worried about Wanda or because she wants the power for herself, you know, is she genuinely evil? And I thought it was a bit of a cop out at the end where mm-hmm. it just became, I want your power Wanda. I'm just the big bad. You know, it, there could have, as Dave said, there yeah. could have been so much more to her.
2: I mean, one of the themes with Agatha was that she, you know, she started out as a very powerful, but almost Some. Innocent, innocent witch who was begging other witches to teach her how to use her magic she seemed evil and yet at that moment seemed that she wanted to be to learn how to be better and that almost seemed the, to be the situation in the end with Wanda and um, Wanda and Agatha where Agatha's this really powerful witch who you know could teach her but in the end I, I was kind of hoping maybe they'd be like well we could team up you know, I'll teach you, help me. But it wasn't to be that they sort of remained. Because even, even as they were going through those flashbacks and they were having a conversation where really there was no animosity there. They were both exploring what happened to Wanda before and how she came to be in the situation she was, because they both needed to understand how the hell she created the hex. For me, it was a little bit of a shame that there wasn't maybe that sort of element to it of the potential which which sort of um team up but then i guess that's because they kind of wanted to make sure that um agatha was just the antagonist
0: but what a way to do a flashback episode you know that episode was an info dump extraordinaire but it works because it was so in so intertwined with the plot and what you needed to know and and the way it went back into You know, the plot of the the Avengers movies, that you know, where we thought that Wanda had got her powers from the experiments Hydra had done on her with the Mind Stone. Mm. But now we Mm. know that there was something there all along, and the Mind Stone unleashed something else, and it's the Scarlet Witch. And the Scarlet Witch is almost like this phoenix kind of um, entity that has, I guess, almost possessed her. Because.
1: Yeah, absolutely. um, It made it more mythical, the the fact that uh, they're wrong.
0: That, that's it and actually you know scarlet witch had never been mentioned in the movies before you know this was a nickname that wanda had had in the comics forever but she'd never been referred to as called Scar- scarlet witch in the marvel movies and there's even a reference at one mm. of the briefings at sword where um, <laughs> they actually say no she's got no, no aliases or nicknames that we know of you know it, so it was really setting yeah. that up and and it kind of almost justifies Mm -hmm. why she's so powerful and why she was pretty much the only Avenger who could have taken down Thanos.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and of course we've also we saw her in a version of her Scarlet Witch costume when they had the Halloween episode, and of course the the series at the end delivers her in a, in a costume which presumably we'll we'll see in uh, when she returns in the Marvel Universe for mm-hmm. Doctor Strange, which I thought was great. I mean, it's it really it's also it's, a, it's like an eight episode long costume reveal as well, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, or eight episode it's, a, it's an origin story. I mean, you know, in, in a way, the, the, it serves the function of of defining that creat- that character in a way that you know an origin story moment when in a film. One thing I'd like to talk about, if I may, with it in mind that Wanda's going to be back in um, Doctor Strange, um, is how this was quite a horrific show in many respects. And it mm. feels like to me that Marvel is setting up its phase four to have much more of a horror element to it. In fact, the, um, Dr. Strange sequel, uh, which is going to be directed by Sam Raimi, of course, a famous mm-hmm. horror movie director before he did Spider-Man is, has been sort of nicknamed Marvel's first horror film. Um, and if you kind of look at WandaVision, as well as the lighthearted stuff offset with that, was some really really quite frightening upsetting stuff and, and there's you know there's moments like where it would flip from vision and wonder sitting on their sofa watching TV to him being dead and his dead eyes and his head kind of missing yeah. and there's there like and, and I think in a in a way there are ver- there are moments in wonder vision that are really really kind of quite spooky and scary obviously there's the the magic which we've got a sense of magic in the Marvel universe from Doctor Strange before but clearly it's setting up for a sort of a supernatural uh, take mm-hmm. on the, the avengers i think whereas before it's kind of always been a scientific kind of um ex- explanation for superheroes and and um and in fact rich you said there about hydra we assumed hydra's experiments gave wonder and and uh, a and brother their powers and even the asgardians the gods of asgard are really just kind of got alien technology but this kind of felt like do, you know, Doctor Strange took it to a to a place where where he's the source of supreme and there's magic there, but it felt like a like a one part of that that universe. Um, but this felt like it was bringing in the supernatural and the spiritual and the magic and the undead into this world. Um, yeah. Did you kind of get that sense as well from it?
0: Yeah, and I think as well, just having the Darkhold, the sort of book of evil spells, really from yeah, what, yeah. Agents
1: of Shield, which is that's the thing. Because I'm a big fan of Agents of Shield, and, and, the, that, and when that popped up on screen, I was like, Oh wow, that's in the <laughs> um, that's a big plot point in Agents of Shield getting the Darkhold and the, the dimension that that's from bringing Ghost Rider into the um, into the Agents of Shield. Then at the end, in that
0: post credit sequence, where you see Wanda go back to this sort of remote cabin, which I think some people are speculating is Mount Wundagore, which okay. is where in the comics she was born, and it was one of the sources of her powers. Um that kind of in the back room she's got the scarlet witch sort of absorbing information from from this dark hold and sort yeah, of yeah. casting spells and you can hear the sort of screams of the two kids you know it, it is she working out a way to sort of bring them back into real life because in the comics Tommy and Billy were created i think from shards of mephisto or something and then they kind of ceased yeah, to yeah. be but then they were resurrected to become part of the Young Avengers. So it's quite conceivable, I think, that they're going to find a way to bring them back. But I'm wondering if what she's doing there is a little bit dodgy in terms of magic terms, you know, um, mm. going down the dark magic route. And that sort of whether that is what attracts the attention of the Sorcerer Supreme, who's kind of policing it. Um, so, yeah. so or, or alternatively, mm. she's more powerful than Doctor Strange. That's been established here. So maybe she she sort of works with him to, just to help him. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how how they kind of tie her in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And talking of um, post credit sequences, there's a mid credit sequence with um, uh, Monica Rambo um, and her the newly powered. Um, uh, Monica Rambeau, as Photon. Um, and they're well, in the um... we
0: don't know she's called Photon yet though.
1: We don't know she's called Photon. I was gonna say that Cause... that's a comic but I'm just dropping a bit of comic comic yeah, yeah, knowledge yeah. bomb there. Yeah so Photon um... was
0: her because Photon her mom... was her mum's call sign yeah. when she was in the Air Force so
1: exactly exactly but so she, she's in she's in the comics as well. Interesting reference I don't know whether you spotted this one of the things that Marvel teases us with throughout uh WandaVision is the names that are on the um the cinema in uh in in west yeah, yeah. for instance the incredibles is there which is of course a super powered family and 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 that's you know an echo of what's actually happening on screen but in the last episode did you notice one of the names there was um uh the tanhauser gate So Tannhauser-Gate is a, is a reference to Blade Runner. Um, the, um, Tannhauser was a, a a 13th century poet, but Tannhauser-Gate is, um, the, the first reference to that is in Blade Runner. It's the speech by Roy Batty when he's, when he's dying, it's, you know, it's his time to die speech. And, um, and, and Tannhauser-Gate has subsequently appeared, you know, it's referenced a few times in various science fiction things as being, one presumed, some kind of portal in space. But the, um, but interesting that that reference there speaks to a number of things. For instance, it's you know it's, it speaks to the idea of an artificial life form reaching the end of its life, which says something about vision. You know, that it's the episode where where vision uh, is is fighting himself uh, and has to and and the, the vision that's resurrected vision uh, giving up his uh, his existence. Uh, and so t- does of Gate speak to that? But equally, does it say something about about space? Because she, the, the, um, the 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 mid credit sequence is. Monica Rambo being approached by the scroll inside that theatre which has has Gate on the front, pointing to the sky to go up to to meet Nick, Nick Fury. So is it is it also talking about, you know, a battle in space? You know, that there's there's um there's a there's a reference there. So I sort of love that there, which is interesting because there's also um and all the references that I, I recall being on the cinema were all references to Disney properties. That's nice. That's a nice um you know, something that won't trouble the intellectual property lawyers. But Tannhauser Gate isn't a Disney property. (laughs) That's just a a science fiction gag. So um, uh, I thought that was uh, was fun.
0: Well, I think one of the slight issues I had with the final episode was that it kind of got into the Iron Man 2 Avengers Age of Ultron territory where it got a little bit more obsessed with setting up future stories uh, at the expense of, like, wrapping up its own story because that last episode rushed through a lot. You know, I think it did the emotional stuff with Wonder and Vision and the boys really nicely, you know, in a way that blockbusters and, mm. and Marvel movies don't always. But you had Haywood, who was the, I guess, the big bad. I mean, who, who was dispensed with so quickly, you know, just a just rest <laughs> Have fun and, you in know, prison. And, and this was a guy who was shooting at kids. And, you know, you think yeah. maybe he deserves something a bit more than what happened. And then you obviously you had Darcy, Driving into him and saying, Have fun in prison. And that was the only thing she did in the episode.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. What a waste. Because she'd been
0: yeah. so funny throughout and she'd been one of the stars of the show. And to just sort of bring her in to do that, what a waste. And there are a few examples like that. And, and, and I think with Monica in this, she really does very little. She has that moment where she jumps in front of uh, Tommy and Billy to, and sort of uses her powers to protect them. But after that, nothing really. And she just has a couple of chats with Wanda. And and this is really just setting her up as a character for Captain Marvel 2. And actually, I kind of thought, I want more from this character who they've actually worked quite hard with. And and same with the the Doctor Strange stuff with Wanda to a degree. They even had a bit of the Doctor Strange music playing over that bit with Scarlet Witch at the end, just just to hint at it. Um, And also going back to the movie titles on the cinema, Dave, that you mentioned, one of the films was Oz, The Great and Powerful, which, of course, Uh, Wizard of Oz movie, featured sort of warring witches, which is obviously a reference, but it's also directed by Sam Raimi. Who ah. is going to be directing <laughs> Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Doctor yeah. Strange is a wizard. So my God, it's all tied together.
2: Their their whiteboard must be crazy. One, it must be the size of a building. Because yeah. they've got all these interconnections <laughs> playing. And they like they must have to write it down somewhere. I'm just imagining this huge board somewhere in the Marvel warehouse going <laughs> with like about a hundred thousand links on it. I think it because obviously everyone's looking at it going in where will the show go? What will all those teasers mean in the future for the MCU and the Marvel shows? But one of the things that you mentioned earlier was it being horrific. And I think looking just at this series, one of the things that stood out for me was that that am vi- gonna start, that vision of vision being set te- Teared, torn apart because up until that point we knew that she was grieving, but to me, uh, you know, and she'd obviously you know been through things um prior to that as well. You know, we saw the traumas, but she'd obviously you know gone through that before, and she'd become an avenger. And she decided to you know kind of work with the Avengers for good. But it was really seeing how awful that was that makes you realize that's what triggered the hex really, you know, that yeah. sort of post-traumatic stress, but in a witch. And, yeah, and you're so right. And, and that- they yeah. And and that's what it was. But and it was it was horrible. And it was also the way that the sword team just kind of brushed it off. Yeah, I was going to say. I
1: think the one of the things that just indicates really. what an absolute <laughs> dick Haywood is is the fact that he showed her the autopsy, right? That, <laughs> yeah. Essentially, of, yeah. of thing, and that, and that yeah. in, in a way, that's almost his kind of worst crime. The fact that the the series is very much about Wanda's grief. You know, it's a it's a real exploration of, of of kind of people, someone working through their grief. The, the fact that one of the the moments of uh, of of kind of exposition there is Haywood responding to Wanda's quite natural desire for answers is to show her the body of her lover being taken apart, it is it's such a dick move. But that's the moment where I think you learn to hate him.
0: Yeah. Well, also that he's using her because she goes to the body and he's she's really seeing what's there and she kind of uses some yeah. of her power and, and she, there's, there's nothing there. And whether that's given him the idea to use some energy from mm. the, the sort of hexfield, which is what he uses to reawaken Vision later on. So, you know, mm. he is totally manipulating the situation and he is throughout. Yeah, there's no other way of putting it. You're right, Dave. What a dick. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but for me, but that I, was the moment where I really got it. I really understood yeah. why she went against Vision's um, Vision's wishes and why she went against her better nature, really, and took that huge, even if it was a bit of a subconscious risk to create a world where he existed because she couldn't bear to see him like that she had to see him apart I think if he if she just kind of known that he'd been buried and and was at rest it was different but it was that horrible moment that really for me was like the kind of turning point the crucible
0: i think it was very clever the way that it left it very ambiguous about how much she knew she was doing yeah because we we had that moment earlier on where we'd seen the footage of her going into sword and it, yeah. it was made to look like she had taken the body mm. and obviously she hadn't it was very cleverly manipulated by Haywood. you know yeah. and, and actually it, i watched that scene back after mm. w- after episode eight. And because in my head, I was like, I'm sure she's picked it up or take, taken something away. And she never does. But it just planted that seed in your head. Yeah, and, yeah, so obviously yeah. she didn't take anything. But the, the tragedy, I think, mm. of seeing the deeds to the house that Vision had got got for them. Yeah. And that realization. And it's almost, I mean, the way I took it was that it was almost this blind sort of just grief and, and um, panic. And, and just what can I do? And that manifested itself in this massive ball of magic that consumed Westview. And she didn't really know Mm. what she was doing. But obviously, as it went on, she kind of knew that um, the people were kind of trapped in this world. But she'd almost told herself that everyone was fine and that this this was a utopia for everybody because this is what she wanted. She had her family. um, So she just assumed that it was great for everybody else. And then you have those moments mm. where people were, t- you know, removed from the the simulation and you hear them saying that, you know, I'm in immense pain, I'm experiencing Wanda's nightmares. Uh, and then again, it goes back into that horror movie territory. Yeah. yeah, yeah And yeah, it
2: yeah, also yeah, makes yeah. you realise that even though they're in that world, that she's ex- still experiencing a whole load of pain and nightmares in grief the whole way through she's acting in this sitcom character so she's very much playing a role and kind of dismissed her actual conscious emotions as well um so there is definitely detachment from reality in herself but then I think the moment that made me think oh no she wants to be there she knows what she's doing is when she takes the the drone plane and goes out of the hex and presents it to S.W.O.R.D. and is basically mm. like, I'm not going to stop this. And and they tell her then, you know, people are suffering. You've taken thousands of people hostage. It's wrong. And she's like, don't care. And that to me was like, whoa, she definitely knows what she's doing now, even if she doesn't know how she got there. <laughs> she's definitely but, but, gone to the dark but side.
0: <laughs> but at that point, it's very different, I suppose, because... There, the world is created, and it's like, well, why would I want to leave? Mm. It, it doesn't necessarily mean it was premeditated before. But I, I do like the fact that that's ambiguous. Yeah. I mean, that, that's good storytelling. And, you know, you yeah. can kind of watch one of these episodes, and different people will take quite different things out of it. And, and that's good. And, again, mm-hmm. that's Marvel creating debate, which is what they're very good at.
2: Yeah.
0: But going back to the red herrings, though. Okay, so there was the whole thing with Pietro. And, you know, when he first turned up on the doorstep, I was thinking, multiverse, this brings the X-Men movies into a parallel timeline. Um, They probably haven't brought X-Men Dark Phoenix in because it's rubbish, but that would be fantastic because it would just be, you know, you've got excuses to bring in Wolverine and all sorts of things. That's fun. But then the things like the engineer that Monica kept talking about, you know, I've got an engineer who can create this vehicle that will go inside and... The whole internet, thing was thinking it's going to be Reed Richards so they can bring in the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. And then it was just a random person who worked at Saw. <laughs> Is that it? You know, um, I, I, don't know how, I don't know how much that's, you know, Marvel trolling us, um, us assuming that everything in Marvel has to be a reference to something, because I, I guess that's we're always looking for something. In the first episode, when the hearts came for dinner, You know, I was looking up for other characters called Heart, and there were obscure characters called Heart. You know, I I can't remember exactly, but there was a Heart in there. I was like, "Oh, is that a connection? And actually, no, it wasn't connected at all. So um, I think they've kind of programmed us to look for this stuff. But I think when that engineer was made out to be so big and turned out to be so little, it was like, that is a bit of a disappointment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Again, I think a lot of that was in within our minds, but we were all kind of yeah duped into thinking somehow talked ourselves into thinking that the references to an engineer or the references to astronauts which come up would be linking to the Fantastic Four or some future story in the Marvel Universe. Thing is, it may yet Marvel uh, you know has a track record of taking taking a decade to pay off references to things, yeah. um, <laughs> and a lot of this this uh, a lot of this series was was uh, was paying off stuff that was told in brief in Age of Ultron years ago. So so maybe, but. um but maybe that's just the you know the flip side of that event TV thing, where you know maybe maybe it's the dark side of the uh, the weekly event television, where it does give us an opportunity to be excited about something every week, but it also gives us a week to to stoke the fires of our own imagination about what what Marvel's yeah. expecting, you know. And 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 that's certainly you're right, Rich. The engineer thing was certainly one of them.
2: I think one of the greatest gifts you can give people is that you know ability to create and imagine. It's something that. You know, we often talk about lacking in the modern world more than it used to be. And it's not just the kids, the little kids, it's the big kids also that need that. So I think if Marvel can help that, that's almost like a gift to humanity to try and get us back to thinking and expecting and hoping for things and seeing. It almost makes a writer out of all of us, doesn't it?
0: And I think as well, I think it's got to be celebrated how much Marvel kind of embraced the sitcom thing. Yeah. Um, and that as much as looking for Marvel references, you were looking for sitcom references early on. I think the fact that they went so far down that route was wonderful, especially when they got into the 21st century sitcom, which when we got into the sort of modern family office era with people mm. talking to the camera and, and sort of really getting inside the character's head, you know, that was the point in the series where you needed to know what Wanda was thinking. Um, yeah. You know, okay, we didn't know at the time that it was Agatha, uh, who was doing the interviewing. But, you know, it, it was just so perfectly timed. Even the
2: reveal was so good. It was such a simple reveal. Like, why on earth is she making all these sitcoms? Oh, because she watched them as a kid. Yeah. It was just such a simple but great... And then it also confirmed, like, it was I Love Lucy and it was Malcolm in the Middle that you were watching.
0: There are a couple of factual errors there, though, because the 90s episode, which riffed very heavily on Malcolm in the Middle... Well, Malcolm in the Middle didn't start till 2000. And actually, oh. the, the flashback to Sokovia would have been 1999, the official Marvel timeline. That's when right. you know their parents were killed. And, you know, they had a DVD of Malcolm in the Middle before the show even aired. And,
1: <laughs> okay, right.
0: I'm going to get really nerdy now. DVD. <laughs> <laughs> DVDs came out in 1997, but they didn't really explode until the 21st century. So I reckon that Wander and Pietro's dad would have been getting these shows on VHS. Now, that would have been one big suitcase. uh, Uh And, yeah, and also I'm sure that most of these shows weren't even released on VHS. So, yeah, come on, Marvel. You've done all this other research, you know, (laughs) all these backstories, (laughs) all these sitcoms, but come on, you can't even get your technology right.
1: I think we have to accept the fact that TV release schedules and physical storage medium were different in the Marvel Prime Universe than they are in our own. (laughs)
0: <laughs> do you think tony stark was involved <laughs> I
1: think so i think the uh the, the point at which the marvel universe deviates from our universe uh is far enough back that uh, that just there's a few years in in the the creation of dvds
0: i stand Makes corrected
1: so. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just yeah headcanon i'm just uh
0: yeah
2: see look at that imagination working dave <laughs> yeah i guess it's it speaks to that point that almost everything is explainable in the mcu no matter how far-fetched things seem to be there's yeah, kind of yeah. a tangent that can link back to some sort of reality or possible
1: exactly. scientific it was explanation. Magic or time travel probably exactly
0: explains it. <laughs> or, agatha. or, agatha, or agatha all along do you think they've created a route back for vision? Because obviously we had the, the sort of new model vision yeah. and he's got old visions, memories. Uh maybe him and Wonder will find each other again?
2: I mean it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean he just flew off at the end. Not even sure what he was thinking. I am vision and then left as a bit of an I am group. I was like, well. <laughs> <laughs> like, off you go. <laughs> so it totally makes sense that he would with those um and especially if, in the end, the vision that Wanda created and the vision that um, Hayward has created, essentially merged minds, then he would want to find Wonder, wouldn't he? God, that sounds like a tongue twister. He would want to he find Wanda, to find wouldn't, Wanda he?
1: wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, I think that's the okay. case. I think the White Vision is something of a of a villain in the in the comic books um, because he's kind of you know the. Um, powerful powerful creature but without the soul without and um, without the mind stone but you know they can do anything can't they and and, and i um and i think certainly there's um there's scope to him to come back in but but like we said you know there's there's also time travel there's also the quantum realm there's all the different ways in which the marvel universe resurrects people all the time
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, um, so who knows
2: but do you think that they might get entangled in their own strings in a way because everything's so kind of either strongly or very sort of slightly connected to each other, even though, you know, there's the different universes and the, the sort of different um, sort of mediums by media by which they kind of um, present themselves. I wonder whether it's going to start to get really difficult to kind of explain all these different characters working together and at the same time doing separate things.
0: You'd think it would have happened already, though, Because Mm. I I think that is Marvel's biggest strength. You know, we've talked before about Kevin Feige's whiteboard and that presumably Mm. they've bought a skyscraper somewhere and just turned one of the walls into, you know, a massive (laughs) flowchart. But, you know, I I think so many other franchises have tried to do the shared universe idea and failed. And I think one of the reasons that Marvel have got it right It's because they're planning it so far ahead. They know what they want to do. And and they must be updating it constantly and they must be making tweaks here and there. But because there is this grand plan, you know, the exact opposite of what Lucasfilm did with the Star Wars sequel trilogy. It's not like the last Jedi where, you know, Ryan Johnson sort of threw all these curveballs that they'd never thought about how to resolve. And then JJ Abrams came in and said, I didn't really like those curveballs in the first place. I'm not going to deal with them. I'm just going to ignore them. Marvel has never done that. You know, Mm. everything has sort of fit together. And even if you compare it to the X-Men movies, um, you know, they contradict each other all the time. You know, try Mm. putting a timeline together for the X-Men movies. They go... Even in the same movie, I think they contradict themselves half the time. It's, it's <laughs> extraordinary, you know. So, so Marvel yeah. just have got that right in a way no one else has.
2: Well, I also wonder if it's just, you know, the human supercomputer of Kevin Feige that is keeping it all together, whereas unlike other shared universes where you've got different directors and different producers coming in and wanting to do their own thing, you've got in Marvel, you've got Kevin Feige at the top basically kind of going yes or no
0: <laughs> and
1: sort of if somehow
2: with this ridiculous encyclopedia of knowledge inside his head maybe just somehow managing to keep it all clean
1: if there was an extinction level event like a meteor like in greenland and there was a presidential warning that went out to save people there'd be engineers and doctors and everyone save kevin feige because we need to know what happens next (laughs) yeah
2: Yeah, i think he's in his place
0: We interrupt this programme because we've said everything we need to about WandaVision right now. Look out for our latest episode coming soon where we'll be talking about the black hole. Thanks for listening and yes, it was Agatha all along. Please stand by.